Anderson. I'm an alcoholic. And I am from California, and I'm from the Pacific Group in West L.A. And I'm a good friend of Ed and Nancy's, and a good friend of Bob. It's always great to see him. And uh, if I lived here, I'd become I'd be coming to this group. And the reason is there's some enthusiasm here, and uh, you people seem to enjoy being sober, and that's what, that's what I like. I like being sober. You know, 21 years ago, my life was, well, I just had the worst life of anybody in the whole world. <laughs> no one had it worse than me, that's for sure. And, uh, and now, 21 years later, no one's got it as good as I do. You know. And what happened? I quit drinking. And, uh, I got a sponsor and started working these steps. And my life has improved. You know, I spoke in, in Nebraska here not too long ago, and a guy followed me, and he was a big buck nut. You know, he's one of these guys, and, and God love him, you know, but he knew every word on every page in the book and where it appeared on the page and what line and all that. And I said, I worked the steps. And uh, and he said, uh, you know, Hank said he worked the steps. And, uh, you know, it says in the book, these are the steps we took, you know. And you don't work the steps, you take them, you know. And uh, so, and I thought, you know, that's right. That's what it says. You know, we take the step. It just seemed like work to me at the time. I thought. <laughs> I, uh, after umpteen years of marriage, and my wife and I really had a stormy marriage, I'll tell you. And we, she used to kick me out of the house all the time. And she divorced me three times. And I wound up in, in a little place called uh, Hermosa Beach, California in a little garage that they had made some living quarters. Um, it was a little room, like 12 by 15, actually, is what it was. The land, You know, I've got a dual problem, too. A lot of people in AA nowadays have dual problems. They're alcoholics and, and drug addicts. They're alcoholics and overeaters. They're alcoholics and this. They're alcoholics and that. I'm an alcoholic and a procrastinator. <laughs> and uh, I always figure if a thing's worth doing, it's worth waiting until tomorrow to even consider <laughs> doing, you know. And I base my life on starting tomorrow. Start, you know. And uh, my boss had a plaque in his office, and it says, "Today is the first day of the rest of your life." And I used to look at that plaque and say, "I got that all wrong." <laughs> tomorrow, tomorrow is the first day. You know, I'm sick today. I I gotta get out of this office. I gotta get. I I need a few drinks. You know. See to get well, and then tomorrow I'm gonna really hit it hard, and and I moved, you know. So this lady rented me this little beach place, and she said it's a half a block from the water, you know. I said, gee, that's great. You know, I'm gonna get up early every morning. I'm gonna run five miles along the ocean edge, then I'll dive in the water and I'll body surf a few waves in, and God, I'll feel good. You know, as far as I know, the water was down there. I never really got around to checking it out for sure. Well, I only lived there four years. You know, I, I was going to. I just didn't get around to it. And uh, I'm an observer of life. I, I don't participate in it. I just observe it. And I can tell you where you're going wrong if you want to check with me, because I've observed a lot of people and the way they live, and, and I know what's right. You know, one of these days, I'm going to live the good life. And, uh, sorry, tomorrow. And, uh, but, uh, 
I got in that little place and I bought a turntable and ten speakers from a friend of mine. I had speakers in all four corners, behind the drapes, behind the couch, in the bathroom, in the kitchen, work, you name it, I had a speaker there. And uh, a typical day for me was to wake up, it'd be 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm already an hour late to work. Oh, man. And I'd throw my clothes on, get in that car and weave in and out of traffic. I had to get there. You see, I should have worked yesterday. I left all these papers all over my desk. I had papers in my desk drawer. Some of them were months old. They were too old to turn in. You know, if I... If I turned them in, I'd be fired for holding them so long. And if I didn't turn them in, I was going to be fired. And, and, you know, I knew I was going to be fired today. Today was going to be it. And, I, boy, I'd really, I'd, I'd check my desk out first thing, see, you know, if anything had been disturbed. And same as yesterday. Whew. Saved again. Go get a cup of coffee and go back to my desk and shuffle papers and make excuses to my customers and try to look interested, you know. At a respectable time, I'd, I'd, I'd go to lunch at the bar that was conveniently located right next door to where I worked. They sold martinis over there, and I like martinis. And during the lunch hour, they sold double martinis for a dollar. The regular martinis were 75 cents. I figured, whoever heard of having one martini? You're going to have two anyhow, so you might as well order the dollar one. You know, you'll save 50 cents. God knows, you need the money bad. And uh, and I'd order the dollar one. I'd get to sip it on it, and I'd kind of check my drink against the guy sitting next to me. He'd have a 75 center, you know. And I'd say to myself, who the hell do they think they're kidding? This isn't a double. It's a little larger than a 75 center, that's all. If it were really a double, they'd be charging more money for it. You know, I've been around. I know these things. So I better have another one. And then I'd have another one, then I'd have another one, then I'd have another one. And I'd call the office and tell them, I forgot to tell you. I'm going on a lot of calls this afternoon. Take messages. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. And I'd head towards the beach, and I'd stop and buy the cheapest bottle of vodka I could find. Whatever was on sale that day, that's what I bought. I'd get home about 2 or 2.30, hang up my clothes real carefully, because I'm kind of a neat drunk, and uh, put my pajamas on. And... uh <laughs> And I'd sit on the edge of my bed and uh, untap that cheap vodka, you know, and done it again today, you know. This cannot continue, you know. You're not the only guy that's ever been divorced. You're not the only guy that's ever been in debt. Why the hell don't you do something about it? All you do is sit around and talk about stuff. You never take any action on anything. Then I'd put one of those old records on the turntable, something like Billy Eckstein singing, Who Can I Turn To? And then I'd go into my fantasy about, you know, starting tomorrow morning, it's all going to be different. Starting tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up at 6 o'clock. I'll get down to that damn office by 7. I'll knock out paperwork for a couple hours. When that phone starts ringing tomorrow, I'm going to be ready to do business. And starting tomorrow, a whole new life is going to open up for me. Starting tomorrow, I'm going to... I'm going to put a big red X on the calendar. I'm going to work 365 days in a row. I'm in sales. I don't, I don't have to watch the clock. I can work seven days a week if I want to. You know, and, you know, I'm going to do that. I'm going to work 365 days in a row. And I'm going to make some big bucks. And I'm going to get squared away financially once and for all. And starting tomorrow, I'm not even going to drink. You know. Jeez, what a terrific idea. God, sometimes I surprise myself. You know, I... I have these wonderful ideas, you know, that's the solution to my problems, you know. And uh, then I'd start fantasizing what I'm going to do with all the money and all that kind of stuff, you know. And uh, 
I'd look up at the clock, and it'd be 10 minutes to 11. She'd think, it can't be 10 minutes to 11. I just sat down here on the edge of this bed. And then I realized I was almost out of booze. And My God, the liquor store closes at 11. And I'd throw my clothes on over my pajamas, and I'd run two blocks to the liquor store. I had to get there before 11. That's when I first started jogging, about that time. <laughs> I'd get there just as they were closing up, you know. Bottle of Smirnoff. I always bought the better brands right around where I lived. I, I wouldn't want anybody to think I was cheap right there in the neighborhood, you know. And, uh, and I could stroll back to my shack with peace and contentment and security for the rest of the night. I'd get back there and have a few more drinks and play a few more of those old records and start, you know, and I, and I think, you know, what I think I'll do? I think I'll work two years in a row. <laughs> what the hell, you know? At the end of two years, I'll, I'll have made so much money, then I'll take a whole year off. I'll buy a boat. I'll sail all over the world in that boat. You know, I've been everywhere in the world. I've sailed everywhere in the world, sitting on the edge of my bed. You, know. you name a spot, I've been there, you know? And uh, somewhere in there, I'd start rehearsing the speech I was going to have to give, because I knew I was going to be salesman of the year. And, uh, and I'd pass out somewhere in there. I'd wake up the next morning, it'd be 10 o'clock. I'm already an hour late to work. Oh, man. Get in that car, weave in and out of traffic. I had to get there because I left all those papers. If the boss had found them, I'd get fired. I knew today was going to be the day, and I checked my desk out. Everything's the same as yesterday. Whew, saved again. You know, At a respectable time, I, I'd go to lunch at the bar that was conveniently located right next door to where I work. <laughs> I'd go over there and make my big decision of the day whether it had the dollar one or the 75 center. And then I'd have another one, then I'd have another one, then I'd have another one, and I'd call them and tell them. I forgot to tell you, going a lot of calls, take messages. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. And I head towards the beach and stop and buy the cheapest bottle of vodka I could find. Get home about 2 or 2.30, hang up my clothes and put my pajamas on and sit on the edge of the bed. And I'd open that cheap vodka and take a big, big jolt out of it, several swallows. And I'd say to myself, huh? done it again today. This cannot continue. You know, you're not the only guy that's ever been divorced. <laughs> you're not the only guy that's ever been in debt. Why the hell don't you do something about it, you know? And then, you know, at least you can get a second job. Well, you don't need to get a second job. You're insane. You can make as much money as you want. By God, that's right. Start, starting tomorrow morning. You know, I'm going to get up at six o'clock, get down to that office. I didn't do that once or twice. I did that hundreds of times. My son had to come and live with me because he was getting in trouble at school. And, and he uh, went out, he was like 16 years old, and, and he uh, went to a party or something and had a few drinks and got in, came home intoxicated and threw up on the carpet or whatever. And so she called me and said, come and get your drunken son, just like you are. And I, what I should have said is, oh, wait a minute, you know. Why are you sending him down here to me now? You know, he's in trouble. You know, I don't mind seeing him, but, you know, it seemed to me we went to court about all this, and, and you won him, you know. And now you're having a little trouble, you want to send him to me, you know. That's what I should have said, you know. He didn't want to come and live with me. He used to come down and once in a while and spend a weekend with me. I never knew what to say to him. What do you say to a 16-year-old kid? I, I just could never think of anything. I think, well, if I was a real dad, what would I be talking about? You know, if I wasn't drinking, I, if I, you know, if you were really his father, what would you be talking? I figure, so I'd start criticizing him. You know. 
criticizing his haircut. Why don't you get a haircut? You know, how come you're not doing better in school? All these things. You know, he just... But if I was drinking, which was most of the time, I just used to slobber all over him, tell him how much I loved him. You know, of all the trouble your mother and I have had through the years, has nothing to do with you. We love you. And I drool all over him and try to kiss him, you know. And he could, he would just, you know, you know, you know, you were no accident. You were a love child. (laughs) I can still see the look on his face like it happened yesterday, you know. And, um, I'd corner him, you know, how you, you corner them, and then they can't escape, and then you can really pour it on, and uh, somehow it escaped, and uh, next morning I'd be ashamed of myself, you know, I'd really be ashamed of myself, not that I had been drunk the night before, but that I had let my guard down. See, I'm from the old school, you don't show any emotion to anybody at any time, you never let them know how you're feeling. I had it down to a science. You, know, you could tell me the funniest joke in the world. I wouldn't laugh. I'd just tell you, that's a funny joke. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if Nancy would have, would have had trouble with me, I'll tell you. And about the only time I ever laughed is if I saw you fall down and hurt yourself. Sometimes I couldn't control myself then, you know. And, uh, I practiced it. I could go to these, Jazz joints out here, world famous musicians blowing trumpets and saxophones and just, you know, really great music. And I just sit there with a cigarette in one hand and a drink in another and never move a muscle. And all the squares were snapping their fingers and tapping their toes. And and I'd look down on them, you know. And that's the way I lived. So I was ashamed of myself. I was ashamed that I had let my guard down and told my son I loved him. I couldn't look him in the eye. I just get him in my car and drive him home and dump him off, you know. He asked his mother after one of those weekends, he said, you've divorced him. Is there any kind of legal action I can take? <laughs> I don't want to go back there. So he had to come and live with me. And uh, But that was the start of a beautiful relationship that we've got going right to this day. It's a funny thing. We got together without mom somehow and, you know, two of, two of us against the world. You know, we, what we had in common is we both had a resentment against his mother and my wife, my ex-wife. And uh, and so that was the basis of a beautiful relationship that we've got going right to this day. And uh, she came down and checked us out one Sunday. And uh, one thing led to another. And we decided we were really miserable people. We seemed to be more miserable apart than we were together. And we kind of confessed that to one another. And what are we fighting about? Our daughter had already split. And uh, all we got left is our, each other. Why are we treating each other this way? You know, Our son would probably be going into the service any time. And so really all we had is each other. Why don't we try this thing one more time and, and show a little respect and consideration to one another instead of criticizing, you know, picking ourselves apart and all that. And so we thought it was a great idea at the time. And uh, and she said, I won't even fight you on your drinking anymore. In fact, I'll join you. And I should have been suspicious, but I wasn't. Little did I know that during that two or three year period we were apart, she had started drinking. And uh, she she was a full-blown alcoholic immediately. You know, some, some of us are. Some of us are. Uh, the first time we get drunk, 
we get in trouble, we get arrested, we're just in trouble. From that moment on, we just keep on drinking, and we're alcoholics from the first drink. And that's what she used to say when she that when she talked in AA, that she was an alcoholic from the first drink. In my case, I think I drank myself into alcoholism. I had a lot of fun with alcohol for a long time. It was a social lubricant for me. It enabled me to dance and romance and do all the things that normal people seem to be able to do without that stuff. Just give me a couple of drinks to get me started. You know, then keep a drink coming every once in a while. Now, I can be real social and, you know, just have a hell of a lot of fun. And I'm very friendly. I don't care who you are. I like you the best. You know, you're the most interesting person I've ever met in my life. And I want to talk with you. You know, I, I want to hear your whole life story. I'm prepared to sit up all night with you and hear your plans for the future. As long as we got booze, I'm right there with you all the way. And uh, and I had a lot of fun with booze for a long, long time. I don't know when it turned on me. You know, I don't know when I became allergic to it, but I did. I became allergic to it. But I didn't know it. I became allergic to penicillin. Same thing happened to me with penicillin. And I took penicillin several times. Last time I took penicillin, I wound up in the hospital for eight days. Damn near died. And the doctor said, you know, don't ever, you shouldn't be taking penicillin. I said, what are you talking about? It's always worked before. He said, well, you've become allergic to it. It's not going to work anymore. You're allergic to that stuff. He says, he says, I'm not kidding. He said, no. He says, don't ever take penicillin again. He says, because it really, next time you take it, it, it might kill you. And I said, no kidding. I, I promise. I'm proud to stand up here tonight in, in Minneapolis and say that I got about 32 and a half years off of that stuff. Yeah. I, ha I haven't had to go to any kind of a meeting about it. I don't even know if they've got penicillin anonymous or not. They probably do. They got every other kind of an anonymous nowadays, you know. And I haven't had to get a sponsor, you know. It hadn't been necessary to work the 12 steps relating to my penicillin problem. You know, I haven't had to call anybody up at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, I've got this uncontrollable desire to take a shot of penicillin. <laughs> Turns out the allergy of alcohol and the allergy of penicillin just a little bit different. You know, I just never, ever have had a craving for a shot of penicillin. And so I quit cold turkey, and, and I feel good about it. <laughs> and, uh, but anyhow, she moved in, and all hell broke loose. We could never drink together. It was just bad news, you know. And uh, I like music when I, when I drink, and, and uh, I had all these old records, these old 78s, and I'd put one of those on, you know, the same records I was playing when I was 18. That's another thing about me. When I... I took my first drink in a bar. I had done a little behind the gym drinking before that, but I took my first drink in a bar when I was 18 years old. And I, I feel that's when I became a man. You know. so a man can buy a drink over a bar without being asked how old he is. You're supposed to be 21 in California. I could play the jukebox over in the corner just as good as the rest of the guys. In fact, I thought my selection of songs were a little better than most. And I could sit at the bar and get better looking after each drink. And... And I just went back every opportunity I had from them. And I thought I had become a man. Actually, what happened, I really, truly feel 
than when I took that drink when I was 18 years old at that bar. That's when my emotional growth stopped right then and there. And I dealt with the next 25 years with a 18-year-old set of emotions. You know, that's okay if you're 18 or in your 20s you can get by. And even in your 30s, you know. But after you get in your 40s, they start looking at you funny when you react like an 18-year-old. And no wonder, you know, I was a rotten husband. No wonder I was a rotten worker. You know, I just, I, I, I just couldn't. I based everything on the experience that I had up until age 18. And I, I don't think I learned anything, or I didn't accept anything uh, from that point on. And so, uh, but uh, so she moved in with me, and and we couldn't drink together. It was impossible because see, I'd play one of those old records, for instance, and uh, geez, what a great song! I haven't heard it, you know, uh, for a while. Just like a new song. I played it the first time in that bar when I was eighteen. Only now, twenty years later, you know, and uh, terrific song. Play it one more time, then I'd play it again and again and again and again. It used to drive her crazy. She'd go over the turntable, take the record off, and. Don't break that. It's a collector item. You can't replace that. Good. Bang. I'll never have to hear that damn thing again. Sometimes I'd get hung up on a trumpet toot. I don't know if you've ever done that or not. You know, lay that needle in there. Toot. Oh, man. Yeah. Play it again. Toot. She went over the phonograph one night and just went over and took the arm and just bent it up. I couldn't play any more records that night, I'll tell you that. I don't know where she got her strength with a metal arm. I tried to straighten it out the next day with a hammer and pliers and stuff. I, I couldn't get it straightened out. I don't know how she did that. That's the way we lived. You know, that's the way we lived. Uh, only a lot worse. Only a lot worse than that. And uh, I finally told her, I said, this is ridiculous, you know, getting together again. It was just a big mistake, you know. And I don't know. I don't know about you, you know. You know, some people should just not drink. You know, you're just one of those kind, you know. And uh it's no fun at all, you know. She, and all the pent-up emotions and hostilities of a lifetime would come out every time she drank. And, and uh, it was just chaos. And, and so I thought, I'm going to go to my brother's house tonight and stay over there. When I come back tomorrow morning, I expect to be out of here. That's more time than you used to give me. And so I went to my good brother's house. You know, the brother that you could knock on his door at 12 or 1 a.m. And and uh, as long as you got something in a brown paper bag, he'll just pull you right in. Yeah. And I went over to his place. And we sat up all night and philosophized about the state of the world. And women in particular. <laughs> Seemed like he'd married a loser, too. <laughs> and uh, we had a lot in common. And... Uh, and while we were doing that, my wife decided to commit suicide. She, that was no big deal. She was always committing suicide. It was one of her character defects, you know. She's always committing suicide. And, and uh, that night, in a blackout, she decided to do it. She was in a blackout, decided to cash in her chips, you know. And uh, uh, But before she did, she went into the closet where my clothes were hanging and just took a knife and slashed every bit of clothes I owned. Just ripped everything to pieces, you know. Cut my ties in half and my shirts and 
cut my pant legs off my pants. And took the knife and stabbed my damn shoes even. You know. Just destroyed my clothes. And then she went out into the living room and pulled the pictures off the wall and broke those all up. And, and lamps and destroyed all those collector items. You know, those 78. Just broke every one of those. And, and just destroyed that little place we lived in. And... Uh, then she turned the gas on the kitchen oven and went to bed. Next morning, she woke up. <laughs> Nothing happened. That old little place we lived in was a half a block from the water, and the wind used to whistle through those boards. You could have turned the gas on ten of them and never smell it in there. So she survived one more time. But she had been the only one that had stayed there that night. And she knew she had done that, but she didn't remember doing it. It really scared her, you know. And she just couldn't believe what she had done. And then I came home. I had trouble believing it myself. <laughs> and then our son came home. He checked us out. He thought we were moving again. Or something. We used to move a lot. And uh, we had hit bottom. That was our bottom. You know, I'm from a good family. She was from a good family. And when we got married, you know, we had great plans what we were going to do with our lives. And we, you know, we really, we really planned on a great life, planned to live the good life. And all we had managed to do is just slowly over a period of years sit around and, and drink every bit of goodness out of our lives. And from then on, nothing was good. From then on, it was all bad. And, uh, we had been going to group therapy again, and uh, this therapist asked me, do you really drink as much as she says? I said, hell yes, I do. I drink a lot. Who wouldn't marry to a woman like that? I had two of the worst children you could possibly imagine, and you know, and a pressure job. My God, the pressure on that job alone makes somebody drink. You know, but what's the big deal? So I drink. So what? They've never missed a meal. They've always had a decent place to live. They've always had clothing. They've always had whatever they needed, medical care. They, they haven't suffered because of my drinking. I don't know why she's always making a big deal out of my drinking. You know. And uh, he said, have you ever thought of quitting? And I said, as a matter of fact, I have. And I did. I used to think about it every night. You know. <laughs> starting tomorrow. I'm not going to quit tonight, but starting tomorrow I am. And uh, he said, have you ever thought of going to AA? And I said, thanks, but no thanks. I've already been to AA. And I had gone to a meeting one time. It was one of these meetings. I don't know if they do it here. They probably do. They got chips for various lengths of sobriety. And the guy that night says, anyone just finished their first 30 days of sobriety? If so, come up and get a chip. And this guy came up. My name's Joe Blow, and I'm an alcoholic, and I'm really proud to get this chip, you know. And uh, I know this is a spiritual program that I found God when I walked through the doors of AA. And the lights in the eyes of the people that just turn me on, keep me coming back to these meetings. And I just love every single person here. Just before I came to the meeting tonight, I got a call from my employer. He's made me general manager down at the plant. <laughs> it's a wonderful, glorious way of life. And for all you newcomers, keep coming back. We love you. Jeez. Anybody else? My name is Mary Smith, and I'm an alcoholic, and I'm really proud to get this chip, and 
I know this is a spiritual program that I found God when I walked through the doors of AA and it's the lights in the eyes of the people that just turn me on, keep me coming back to me. I just love every single person here. In fact, hate is no longer a word in my vocabulary. I just love everybody. Not just the people in AA, everybody in the whole world. Just a short time ago, my children, when they looked my way, they had fear in their eyes. Now when they see me, they show respect. You know? And I've noticed lately that my husband is looking at me with renewed interest <laughs> in life. And these 12 wonderful steps. And, and my children were failing in school just a short time ago. Now we're getting letters from all the major universities throughout the United States offering free scholarships. When I wake up in the morning, I reach over and grab the hand of God, and we walk through the day hand in hand. So, a wonderful, glorious way of life in these 12 great steps. And for all you newcomers, keep coming back. We love you. And I thought, oh, my God. I wasn't able to stay for the whole meeting that night. I needed a drink. And I needed it bad. And I went and got one, or 20, or whatever. And so this guy suggested AA. I said, forget it. I've already been. You know, some kind of a spiritual program. I don't know, a religious cult of some kind. You know, it's okay by me. There's nothing I'd be interested in. So he sent me to a doctor. I was going to get some man abuse. Because I told him, I'm going to quit. I'm tired of listening to and so I went to this doctor. I was told not to drink for at least two days prior to coming to getting to get the abuse. And so the doctor said, "Is it true?" He says, "You don't need abuse. If you can go two days, two full days without a drink, you're over the hump." He says, "You, you know, if you don't want to want to, you never need to drink again as long as you live." Scared the hell out of me. You know? And he just went on and on and on about the disease of alcoholism. And how people that have the disease of alcoholism have character defects. They refuse to work on their problems. They refuse to cope with their problems. Instead of coping, they get drunk tonight instead. And they wake up the next morning and they still got all their problems. Only now they got a hangover on top. And uh, he was telling me my story. I just didn't recognize it at the time. And... Uh, so I finally said, well, Jesus, if you're not going to give me an abuse, then I guess I better go. How much do I owe you? And he said, I can see I'm not making much of an impression on you, so I'm going to tell you something I wouldn't normally tell my patients. But due to the nature of your appointment here today, I'm going to tell you something. That my wife's an alcoholic. We've tried everything. We've tried rest homes and sanitariums and treatment centers and psychiatry and, and abuse. and We've tried everything. Nothing's ever worked. It all works temporarily. As long as she's in a treatment center, she's sober. As soon as she gets out of the treatment center, she's drunk within a week or two. And uh, and we've done this over and over again. But she's sober now. She goes to AA. She's sober for seven months. Oh, hooray, hooray. You know, who cares, you know? <laughs> and and he said, uh, you know, promise me, he says, you know, that you'll go to the Manhattan Beach Clubhouse on your way home and buy the book Alcoholics Anonymous he says I wouldn't bother going to the treatment center or anything. just go she stayed sober two days just go directly into AA 
you know, and uh, promise me that you'll go by and buy that book. And I said, okay. And he said, there'll be no charge for this call. That's the only thing that guy said that day that impressed me at all. Yeah. But I did go buy the book. I threw it on my dresser, and then this fiasco happened where she tried to commit suicide. And she had been with me and heard all of what the doctor had said. And she went back and talked to him. And he, she asked him if he thought she was an alcoholic. And he said he didn't know, but why didn't she go to some meetings with his wife? And she'd be happy to take her. And so that's what happened. And she went to AA. And that's the reason I'm standing up here tonight. You know, because my wife went to AA. I would have never gone back. I don't think I would have gone back. Who knows? But I don't think I would have. And, uh, but to be a good guy, every once in a while I'd go to a meeting with her. I hated the meetings. Hated them, you know. And I thought the guys were standing up here especially. I couldn't stand them, you know. I thought they were experts. You know what an expert is, don't you? An expert's a guy that knows a hundred different ways of making love and doesn't even have a girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. They're well-meaning people, you know. They go to school. They learn all this stuff. And the information that they're giving us is absolutely correct, true in every respect, you know. But, they, but they've got it out of books. They have no idea what a drink does for a guy like me, you know. It's instant relief, you know. They don't know that. They, they have no idea. They just, they just see people destroying their lives with, with alcohol. And they're giving us good advice. So I, but I just couldn't listen to, AA, to those kind of people, you know. And I went to these AA meetings and I thought the guys standing up here were paid lecturers. And I wasn't paying any attention to them. And, uh, I got sober the same way Bill Wilson got sober. You know, he had a lot of experts in his life. You know, he went to the hospital several times. He stayed sober while he was in the hospital. He'd get discharged from the hospital. He was drunk in a week or two. He did it over and over again. He had a brother-in-law, I believe, uh, that was a doctor, tried to help him. Well-meaning people tried to help him, but he couldn't get sober. He couldn't stay sober. And then some drunk that he, bad drunk that he knew, knocked on his door one night and told him that he'd been sober for 60 days and told him how he did it and uh, really impressed Bill Wilson. It wasn't too much longer after that that Bill Wilson met Dr. Bob Smith and AA was formed, you know, was started. One drunk talking to another drunk, no lectures, you know. They're not talking down to you. They're sharing, sharing one drunk to another. And that's how I got sober. Not listening to the people up here, but sitting out in the audience rubbing shoulders with a fellow alcoholic. And uh, I'm very glad that's what happened to me. And uh, I haven't had to fight it. And uh, so I got sober. And uh, I hated being sober, by the way. You know, just, God, my, my life is over. It's absolutely over, you know. I'll never be able to have a decent time ever again, you know. And like Franklin, Franklin Williams says, you know, struck down in the prime of my life <laughs> with an incurable disease, you know. 
and I'll never be able to drink again. I'll never be able to have any fun ever again. I'll never be able to go to a decent restaurant ever again. I'm stuck at Denny's for the rest of my life. Yeah, I'll never be able to go to a restaurant where they serve liquor, you know, a nice restaurant. Never be able to go, you know, because what do they want to know when you go into a nice restaurant? First thing they want to know, you know, is, would you like a cocktail before dinner? And you can't say to them, well, yeah, I'd like one, but <laughs> you see, I've got this disease and it's of a two-fold nature. It's an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. If I take even one drink, I'll, I can't predict my behavior. <laughs> if it wasn't for that, I'd sure have one. <laughs> I used to think you had to explain all that stuff to people. I used to spend 90% of my day back then explaining things to people. And if I was standing on a street corner and somebody walked up to me, I'd start explaining what I was doing there. I had no self-worth at all. I even had to explain what little bit of space I was taking up in this world, you know. And that's what I'm working on now. I'm trying to quit explaining. It's hard. It's hard not to explain. But I'm working on it. And uh, I go for days sometimes without explaining. But invariably, I catch myself. I always start from the day I'm born. I bring you up to date, you know, all the pros and cons and ramifications of the problem because I want you to understand. And uh, while I'm, and sometimes when I'm doing that, I catch myself right in mid-explanation. I stop. You know, the sad, real sad part about this is they never, ever notice the difference. You know, it turns out no one is listening to your explanations. No one's a damn bit interested in finding out why you haven't done something you were supposed to do in the first place. And I'm just trying to quit altogether. My wife and I had a real hard time in sobriety. We couldn't go to the same meetings together. They separated us because uh, we got to go to one meeting a week together. And uh, but our sponsor separated us and because we'd go hear some speakers talking you know, and we'd argue about what he really meant on the way home. <laughs> yeah. And uh, gradually over a period of years, we, we finally got it together a little bit. You know. And uh, my wife died five years ago from cancer. And uh, But you know, uh, our life was in order when she passed away. And uh, you know, sometimes they ask me, Hank, what is it that you've got from AA? Just what is it? You know, your sobriety, of course, and your good health. But... What else? What have you really got from, from AA? Yeah. I got caught up. I got caught up. I was really behind in everything. I couldn't do anything because I was paralyzed. People would ask me to go you know, take a vacation. I couldn't because I had to stay there and protect that paperwork I hadn't done. I, I couldn't leave town. I, you know, I owed money to everybody and all that. You know, I was never, ever current in anything. And, uh, Slowly over a period of years, I have become responsible. Slowly over a period of years, you know, become dependable. You know, slowly over a period of years, I got those guys paid off. You know, big help to me was that I found out that that wasn't my money, you know, that it was their money, you know. I had to pay them their money, you know. I got that all confused. I thought it was my money, you know. And, uh, but I paid them off, and our life was in order. 
you know. And it says on page 100, page 164, and part of it says, you know, ask in your morning meditation what you can do for the man who's still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. Obviously, you can't help somebody unless your own house is in order. I'm not quoting that exactly right, but that's what it says in there. And, uh, yeah, that's it. You know, my house is in order. You know, 21 years ago, my kids weren't speaking to me. You know, and I was behind in everything. And uh, my relationship with everybody was all screwed up. And, uh, and now I'm current. I am, have a loving relationship with my son. I have a loving relationship with my daughter and my grandchildren and all that. In fact, my son that used to look at me so funny back in those days, uh, no wonder he looked at me so funny. He was stoned out of his gourd. <laughs> it seemed like he had a problem with booze, too. And he took LSD. And I found out not too long ago that he was a glue sniffer, too. You know, I used to wonder why when I got in my car on a Saturday morning, my steering wheel was all sticky, you know. I just recently found out he was a glue sniffer. I'm really ashamed to have to tell you folks that, but the, but I'll be damned if he didn't turn himself into AA when he was 21 years old. And on May the 27th, the last year, I drove up to Santa Barbara to his five-bedroom home, oh, two-story home overlooking the Pacific Ocean. You know, I don't know how many bathrooms he's got in that house. You know, all I know is everybody can go to the bathroom at the same time. <laughs> And he's got a beautiful place, and he's married to a very beautiful gal that's in Al-Anon, and uh, he's doing great. You know, he's a big wheel in AA in Los Angeles. He he spoke at the Palm Springs Roundup. He was a young people speaker at the Palm Springs Roundup one year, and first time I ever saw him dressed up, you know, as an adult, you know. He bought a new suit, had a nice shirt and tie, got his hair styled, looking good. He stood up before... 12, 1,800 people, whatever. And he said, my name is Matt Johnson. I'm an alcoholic. He said, I'm the son of a drunken mother and a drunken father. And my wife and I looked at each other and we just burst into tears. We were so goddamn proud. <laughs> and uh, my daughter had a baby when she was really young. That kid is 23 years old now. I can't believe I've got a grandson 23 years old. I'm too young to have a grandchild. But my image is, I really blows my image. You know, he goes to the same meeting I go to. I really, <laughs> Anyhow, a couple of weeks ago, he took a six-year cake. He got sober when he was 18 years old. And, uh, and the three of us are sober. We all went to the Seattle, up to Seattle to the, international convention they invited me to sit with them you know and I sat next to my son on this side and his Al-Anon wife next to my grandson and his AA fiance I sat there and I had a spiritual experience you know I uh, was sitting there with 46,000 other alcoholics and my family you can't we can't be together it's just impossible you know and I didn't force myself on him. You understand that? I was invited to sit with him. And, uh, and I had a spiritual experience. You know, you wonder how the hell you get there from where we were. You know, our family was really screwed up. 
and we're still not the best family on the block. I, I wouldn't try to kid anybody, but you know, we we have a we have loving feelings for one another. But the only thing I can say, what it all means, what AA is, is what I heard at that first meeting that I ever went to. And it turns out that this program really is a spiritual program. You know, and I know that I found God when I walked through the doors of AA. And you know, it's the lights in the eyes of the people <laughs> that just turn me on and keep me coming back. Thank you very much.